Turn your Bible to Proverbs chapter 6. Proverbs chapter 6. Making our way through this chapter, really just paragraph at a time. We tried to get two paragraphs in last week. We'll look at just one today. Proverbs chapter 6. We'll begin reading in verse 12. A worthless man, a wicked man, is one who walks with the perverse mouth, who winks with his eye and signals with his feet, who points with his finger, who with perversity in his heart continuously devises evil, who spreads strife. Therefore, his calamity will come suddenly. Instantly, he will be broken and there will be no healing. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we... Thank you for this time that your believers can come together. Thank you for your church. What a joy it is. Lord, I pray for these children that have just been dismissed to their classes. I pray that you would allow the word of God to seep into their lives, into their minds. and They they would begin to conform to your will, conform to your thinking and principles. And Lord, I pray the same for us. That, Lord, as we look at this passage, our understanding will be enlightened, that we would be more clear about this passage so that we can apply this to our thinking and to our lives. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this is a passage about the wicked. Last week we looked at a passage about the um, the sluggard or the, the lazy man. And... Um, and this week, it's, it's the, the wicked person. And when I read this, you may think, well, this is, he, he's going a little soft on the wicked. This is pretty mild for, you know, description of the wicked, characteristics of the wicked person. I mean, when we think of the wicked, we think of those who are murderers and those who kill people or maybe sex traffickers today. Or bank robbers, or those who are authoritarian, who oppress the, the children and women. And, and we look at this and we think, well, that's pretty mild. It's pretty mild. And, and with our 21st century mentality, we kind of look into these things. And uh, we, we just think that it, 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 could, it could be beefed up a little bit. But what Solomon is doing here is he's getting to the very heart of evil, the very heart of wickedness. And what we have to do is we need to align our understanding with God's understanding, with what God says, with God's word. And there's a few things I think we need to remember. We have to remember. In fact, there's four. I've got them on the display up there. There's four things. Number one, we need to remember God's purpose for man. We're to glorify God, and um, we uh, we know, we recognize that we have fallen short of God's glory, and uh, but yet it's still clear in Scripture what we are to do. If you want to turn over to Deuteronomy chapter 6, you don't have to turn there, but it's very clear. Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is Our God, the Lord, is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your might. That's very clear. That's, That's what God has called us to do, to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. When we turn over to 
Uh, Leviticus chapter 19, we see the, the second greatest commandment, as Jesus would say. You shall not, uh, Leviticus 19 verse 18, you shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the sons of your, of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So there's an emphasis there. I am Yahweh. I am the Lord. And he says you are to love your neighbor as yourself. So we have both commandments. And Jesus reiterates those commandments in the New Testament, doesn't he? They ask him, what's the greatest commandment? He goes to the Old Testament. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And your neighbor as yourself. And so everything falls under the, those two categories. Man's responsibility is to love God and to love his neighbor. That's, those are the two categories. And we're to do that with perfection. We're to do that perfectly. Now, another thing that we need to remember, though, is we need to understand good. We need to understand good. Whether to love God, we're to love our neighbor, and we're to do that in a good way. Because here's what can happen. We, we talked about the lazy man last week. We can say, well, I'm going to help my neighbor. My, na- my neighbor is very lazy, though, and I'm going to love him, so I'm going to do all everything for him. And we begin to realize, no, that's not really helping him. Just doing everything for him. He's not really doing anything. He should have some responsibilities. That is good. It's good for him to get up. It's good for him to not be lazy. So we have to love with standards. And good is the standards. We have to understand and we have to remember the standards. The standards are essentially derived from God's law as we interpret these laws and and we see these in Scripture. And as Solomon has interpreted them, put them into principles, we are to work them out in our lives. And that is what is good. That's where wisdom comes in. We have to discern what is best. It's not just loving kindness and mercy all of the time. It's according to God's goodness. What is good for the other person. So you need to understand that. And and we tend to distort what is good. And we tend to... So we uh, we need to go back to Scripture and find out what is good. Another thing we have to remember is evil... Evil, wickedness. And I think we tend to forget this. We need to understand. And we have to ask the question, well, what is evil? And Solomon is going to get to some of that. What is wickedness? The passage that was read for us earlier gives us a pretty clear understanding of evil. And we may not, may not even recognize it. If you look over to Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 14. There's a, there's a situation here. This is the first time that we see evil. Now, this is just after creation. God had created Satan. Satan finds himself as a glorified, this glorious angel of God's creation. And so Satan finds himself and he, he sees the, his importance. He sees the role that God has gotten him to play and what his responsibilities are. He says this, In Isaiah 14, verse 13, he says, But you said in your heart, this is Satan, he he is saying it in his heart, and he says, I will ascend. Now that's where it starts. It's the I. It's in his heart. And he says, I will ascend. I will rise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit on the mount of the assembly. 
in the recesses of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself the most high God, like the most high God. That's the heart of evil. That's the first record, uh, or, or at least the chronologically, where sin is entered into the heart. Right after creation, Satan looks around, he sees himself and he says, he sees his responsibility, he sees his, he's just right under God, he's a high-ranking angel, and he says, I will, I've got a plan. I've got a plan, and I will arise, he says. He didn't like God's good for him. He didn't like to fit into God's plan. He doesn't like God's sovereignty over his life. He wants control. We want control. We like control. We want control over our world. But what Satan was willing to do was to twist good to get it. And uh, we, we look at Satan and... From our perspective today, we'd see Satan has a pretty healthy view of himself. And that's a good thing. We'd see it from almost a psychological standpoint. But he was unwilling to submit, unwilling to put himself under God's roles and responsibilities for him, under God's good for him. Now the thing is, is every one of us have this sinful tendency. Every one of us have, has this sinful nature. We all have the potential To promote self. I don't want God's good for me. I want self-promotion. Self-elevation. I want to be in charge. And I will twist scripture or whatever else to do it. And that's that's the heart of wickedness. Wickedness is not just extreme evil in people. Now we, we may look at, at the Hitlers, we may look at the, I know the, the recently just come out uh, movie, the Gosnell uh, story. And that is evil. That is wickedness. But that's an extreme version of this. There's another, another, another thing that we have to understand. And that's, uh, and we have to remember that, that God's priorities. We, un- we need to understand God's priorities and we have to conform our understanding and our priorities with, with God's priorities. And we live in a world, folks, that has been given over to a depraved mind. God has given them over to a depraved mind because they reject the truth. They just continue in their unrighteousness. And so God has given them over to a depraved mind. And what you have is a church that's just following after the world. It's just hard after this. And, and so what we do is, as Christians in the church, and the, I'm just talking about the church in general, is we tend to major on the minors. We tend to make mountains out of molehills. That's just our tendency. And our conscience is being um, sensitized to things that maybe not are as important, and, and we tend to neglect things that are important. That's, that's our tendency. And we need to emphasize what God emphasizes. And we do that. We find that out through Scripture. That's another thing that we have to remember. So keeping all those things in mind, we see here this picture back in Proverbs, this picture of the wicked man. And it may seem a little mild at first, but what you have to understand is this is the maybe the DNA, if you will, of the wicked person. This is just the, the core. This is the infant's stages. You might say this is the, the two-year-old version of the, of the wicked. Uh, two-year-old. 
He, he doesn't really control himself. Everything is just vented. He is just out there. So we have to we have to look at this with that understanding. We have to keep that in mind. But the broad principle is this, that the wicked person distorts what is good in order to control his own world. Distort what is good to control his own world. And God determines what is good. With that in mind, let's go to this passage. And we see that Solomon is dealing with the the wicked person. And he answers the question for us, what is wickedness? What is it? And he gives us an example here. He gives us an illustration. Not one particular person, but just his characteristics. He gives us his judgment at the end. But he says this in verse 12, a worthless man. Now, that would be the worst thing that you could possibly call anyone in the Old Testament. Worthless. The wicked man, it it, it would be, uh, he's just, another way of saying it would be wicked man. The worthless person, the wicked man. The word worthless there, a couple of things you need to understand about this. The word worthless is of Belel. That's the translation, the transliteration of this. And you may recognize that as the same word that we would get our word from for Satan. And that's exactly right. Of Belel, of Satan. And that's the idea. It might be, uh, we might say, uh, of the Dingus clan. We've just recently had a lot of, uh, in the fall, we generally around here have a lot of reunions. And it would be of a particular clan. And this person, this worthless person, this wicked person, is of Satan. He's of the Satan crowd, you might say. He's being used by Satan. Now, the word, it was generally used just as a, uh, just as a mischiever, mischief maker, you might call him. Or we might call him today a troublemaker. But it's, he's of Satan. Of Satan. It implies wickedness. It implies worthlessness. We see it a few times in Scripture, 1 Samuel chapter 2. Let me turn to at least one of these passages. 1 Samuel chapter 2 is a good uh, illustration of this. 1 Samuel chapter 2 and verse 12 gives us a, a good illustration. And he says this, Now the sons of Eli. Now Eli was a priest in the Old Testament that uh, Samuel was working with. But the sons of Eli were worthless men. They did not know the Lord. Now, they were the priest's sons. They didn't know the Lord, and it says, and the customs of the priest with the people. Now, what is that? They were just wicked men. They they did whatever they wanted to do. They didn't even know the Lord. They didn't know the customs. And even though their father was a priest, that's sad. There's other passages that it's, it's used in. But they were influenced by Satan. They were of their father, the devil, Jesus might say. In fact, that's what he called the scribes and Pharisees, wasn't it? They were of their father, the devil. Mischief makers. Worthless men. Distorting what is good. That's exactly what the scribes and Pharisees were doing. Now, what does Solomon say about this worthless man? He says, go back to Proverbs 6. He says, the worthless man, the, wor- the, the uh, wicked person or the wicked man is one who now obviously what Solomon is wanting his son to do is to be able to recognize this wicked person recognize the characteristics in fact that's what he does he gives us four characteristics of this wicked person and we need to recognize him be able to identify wickedness now sometimes we could see it in other people but sometimes we don't see it in ourselves we need to be able to recognize it. So he kind of fleshes it out for us. And again, it's in seed form. It's in kind of the DNA of, of wickedness. So let's look at these four characteristics of the wicked person. Here's the first one. 
He is one who walks with a perverse mouth. He walks with a perverse mouth. The word perverse there. And now this is talking about his speech. The principle is that the wicked person has perverse speech. That's the principle. And the word perverse there is the word crooked. Now, if I'm going straight, if I'm going down this road, and all of a sudden I make a turn, I'm not going that straight path anymore. I'm going a different path. I'm making it crooked. And that's the idea. Uh, to deviate from what is good. Deviate from what is good. That's the idea here. It's to turn, supposed to be good, into something that is evil. He fleshes that out. We can flesh that out for ourselves a little bit. In the whole book of Proverbs, he, he has a lot to say about the tongue. What we say with our words. And we may think, oh, it's just, I, I'm, I'm kind and that's all. But no, in the book of Proverbs, he tells us what, what this is like. This is, it could be the words that we use. It could be the ideas. It could be lying. It could be cursing, dirty talk, twisted doctrine. It could be tearing others down, slander, uh, gossip, m- mocking others, harsh, abusive language, false teaching or false witness, boasting, quarreling. Deceitful speech, flattering words we see throughout the book of Proverbs, ignorant or foolish talk, or just constant talking, just talking too much, talking way too much. And the illustrations of that would be, would be in Israel. Now Israel, do you remember the story? Israel is going through the, the desert and they were just complaining and murmuring and griping against Moses. Why are we having to do it your way? We want to do it our way and just griping and complaining constantly. You remember Ananias and Sapphira in the New Testament. They lied to the Holy Spirit with their words. There was kids in the, in the uh, Old Testament that were mocking a prophet. Mocking the prophet of Isaiah because he, had, he was bald. Yeah. And a bear. You know the story? The bear came out of the woods and, and took those kids. So be careful. What you say about both? Just kidding. You may think of Job's friends. Job's friends the same way. They just talked too much. They came in. They didn't provide any help. That's that's the picture. That's the picture in the New Testament. It would be false teachers, or and and James warns us: don't let many of you be teachers. With our mouth, our mouth was an instrument for good. An instrument for good. And words were to be expressing wisdom and help and encouragement. They were to be fitting words and kind words. Words that were appropriate at a particular moment. Pleasant words. Words that were true. And even in the Proverbs, you see few words. Few words were better than many words. That's what you see in the book of Proverbs. Few words. But the idea is that we were to control our tongue. We were to control our words. But the, the wicked person doesn't. He, he doesn't control those. In fact, it says he walks with perverse. He twists it. He, he makes it corrupt, this instrument that God has given him. It says he walks with perverse mouth. Now, how many of you walked with your mouth before? We don't walk with our mouth. That's a way to get our attention, isn't it? It draws our attention to what is he talking about here? We don't walk with our mouth here. But the word walk there is, is just our habits. Our habits of speech, our patterns of speech. 
And we know that our speech reflects what's in our heart. Jesus said that uh, out of the heart, the mouth speaks. God has given us a mouth to build up, to encourage others, not to tear others down. But the wicked man, the wicked man, he perverts it. He perverts this instrument that God has given him. He perverts it. Now, let's just apply this quickly. What is the pattern of your mouth? What is the pattern of your speech? Husbands, husbands, how do you talk to your wives? How do you talk to your children? What's the tone that you set in your house? Is it an angry tone? Is it a hateful tone? Is it a, just a, uh, a tone that nobody can get around you? Nobody wants to even be with you because of your words? We have to be careful. Because it's, a, it's reflecting wickedness. Reflecting wickedness. That's what it is. So it just, it comes from a wicked heart. Number two. Number two. The wicked man is one who has deceitful motives. Deceitful motives. This is verse 13. He says, who winks with his eye, who signals with his feet, who points with his finger. Now you say, what's that about? That doesn't sound like something we would use today. He's talking about deception. And in the Middle East, if you were in the marketplace, you'd have to be very careful because there would be people to come around and, and there would be one person to try to talk you into something and he would kind of signal or, or wink to the, the other people and they would chime in and before you know it, you would be taken. And, and he would do it with his winking or signaling, pointing out with his eyes and his hands and his feet. That's the point here. The idea is he's deceptive. He's plotting. He's got secrets that you don't know about. He's trying to to get one over on you. He's not above board. He's not honest. It doesn't match reality. And he wants you to think, though, that he's honest. But the reality is, is he's not. He's not trustworthy. And that's, again, this is coming to the very heart of wickedness. Deceitfulness. Self-interest. Control. Now, let's just think about this for a second. Because if, if Satan would have come to Eve, Satan would have come to Eve and, and said, Now, Eve, here, here's what I want you to do. I want you to disobey God, and I want you to eat from this fruit, and I want you to rebel. Just, just rebel and just sink the whole human race into sin. Well, Eve wouldn't have done that. No, Satan had to twist God's word. He had to use deception to get Eve to obey, to get Eve to do what he wanted her to do. And the result was he twisted good and he brought down the whole human race just by that one little conversation. He had to twist what was good. And Jesus tells us, though, to let your yes be yes and your no be no. Just be straightforward in our speech. Now... Let's just apply this a little bit because we need to be aware that people are out to deceive us. We need to be aware of that. And even within Christendom, there are impure motives. There are people out there that just want to sell their CDs. Believe it or not. They deceive you. They sometimes may be deceived themselves. They've bought into one of Satan's lies. They produce these videos. They produce these books, write these books and movies, and they want to sell them. And we have to be very, very careful because many times they will twist what is good. 
They'll twist what is good. So we have to be aware of that. And Solomon wants his son, obviously, to be aware of those kinds of things. But I, I think there's more to it than that. Because I think there's an element of introspection here. You know, we see evil on the outside, but we need to look in the inside. And sometimes we don't evaluate our own motives. What are our motives? Very little thought really is given to our motives. But I think we should. Why did you say what you said? Why did you do what you did? And sometimes I believe we need to just trace back, just think about in our own heart, what was my motives when I did that? Now, when you do that, what you will find, you will trace it back to many times to a wicked heart. And that's what you'll see. You'll see a, a wicked heart. You'll see something that you don't want to see. And it will break your heart. It will cause you to repent. It will cause you to confess that sin. And so I think we need to give thought to our motives. But here's the deal. If you never see, if you never, uh, See your own sinfulness. If you don't get to the heart of your sinfulness, looking, examining your own motives, you're really never going to be honest with yourself. Never going to be honest with yourself. You say, well, what are some wrong motives? Well, just deceit. We looked at that. What about attention getting? We kind of talked about that in Sunday school. Attention getting. Many times we use our words just to get attention. I want the attention. But you're getting it in inappropriate ways. Or maybe you're using your words to, uh, your, your motive is to, to hurt, to gouge, to get vengeance from somebody else. Or self-promotion. Or just sympathy. Just being self-absorbed. Or just you want recognition. Or most of the time, folks, we use our words to control other people. Control other people. And that's usually deceit or force dominating over people, instead of just coming to the Lord and just allowing, yielding ourselves in our control over to the Lord and say, Lord, you are going to have to deal with this. And we just humbly submit ourselves to the Lord. So we have to ask the question, what is our primary motive? Our primary motive we see in Scripture is to honor God. Just honor God. Try that. We, we honor God, not self-interest, That's what motivates most of us. Self-interest, my will, I will do this, I want this. But what we see in Scripture is honoring God to do right, to focus on others, to minister to others, to be a servant. That's what we see in Scripture. In fact, Paul himself saying, I'm being poured out as a drink offering. The Lord is using me so much, I just feel like I'm just empty sometimes. Just poured out as an offering to the Lord, he says. And Christ himself said, I I didn't come to uh, be served. I came to serve. He's our example. And so often, so many times, so much of our conversation, so much of our speech is just self-interest, self-promotion, controlling other people. We want to control our world as opposed to, you know what? Just, Lord, I'm going to submit these things to you. I'm just going to come under your authority. And I'm not going to try to control everything. Number three. There's a, a, a wicked man. Here's the, other, here's the principle, number three. The wicked man has evil goals. Look at his goals in verse 14. 
who with perversity in his heart... So his word, remember the word perverse, this is crooked, it's distorting what is good with perversity in his heart. He continuously devises evil. Continuously devises evil. Now we need to know a little bit about these words here. The word devise, we've seen it before, but the word devise is to, to plow, to plow up. And when I was young... We had some back acreage, and we would plow that acreage up using a horse. My dad would, we thought it was pretty exciting. I'm sure it was just work for my dad, but we would like to come and see this. And he would hook up this horse to this plow as a manual plow, and we'd try to get this horse to move, and it would try to plow a straight roll. And the roots would come up, the rocks would come up, and he would just plow it, and it would just be all plowed up. All the soil would be plowed up. That's the idea. He likes to churn. He likes to overturn everything. Plow it up. And he says, continuously devises evil. That's his goal. Devising evil. He's got this little plan and that little plan. The word evil there is immorality, injury to others, distress on others. Let me show you. This is upheaval. It's upheaval. It would be a good term for it. But you need to see an example of this. If you want to turn over to Numbers, now this is an important passage, Numbers chapter 16. This is a a great example of of a wicked person. You see the situation was uh, the children of Israel were being led by Moses, God's man. Korah comes along and says, Moses, you you have gone far enough. Look at verse 2. Numbers chapter 16 and verse 2. And they rose up before Moses, together with some of the sons of Israel, 250 leaders of the congregation, chosen in the assembly, uh, men of renown. They assembled together against Moses and Aaron. Now Moses was God's leader and said to them, You have gone too far. This is what the assembly has have said. They're saying to Moses, these men... And with Korah as the leader, you have gone far enough for all the congregation are holy, every one of them, and the Lord is in their midst. So why do you exalt yourself above the assembly of the Lord? Now, you see what's happening here. They're coming against Moses, God's man. Moses, you're the one in the wrong. And Korah and his group, we are in the right. We know holiness. And Moses, look at a godly man's response here. When Moses heard this, he fell on his face, humbled, humbled before the Lord, broken. And he said to Korah and his company, tomorrow, tomorrow morning, the Lord will show who is his and who is who is holy and who will bring him near to him. Even the one who to whom the Lord will he will choose. He will bring near to himself. He says, let God choose then. And it came down to this, this battle. So the next day they come up and they're still, they're against Moses. Moses is on one side and the crowd, 250 leaders of Israel around the other side, the Korah in the lead there. And God just skipped down to verse 31. He says this, and he finished speaking. This was Moses as he finished speaking all these words. The ground that was under under them split open and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up and their household and all the men who who belonged to Korah with with their possessions. 
their family, with their possessions, all of them just swallowed up. The Lord just just did it instantly. Instantly. Now, this is a picture of, of, the, of wickedness, of this man who is coming against God's leader here, distorting the truth. You are not holy. We are holy. We are the ones doing the right here, Moses. God says, no, you're not. He does it in a pretty dramatic way. Pretty dramatic way. Now, the picture here that Solomon is giving us is that same picture. Distorting, twisting. His goal is, is just to bring havoc to twist the Word of God, to twist the, the roles that God has given, to question God, and to bring havoc and disruption in the society, or in the church, or maybe in the family. Again, it's just from self-interest. Not interested in the truth at all. Not interested in good. Just interested in promoting self. So we have to ask ourselves this question. Can we submit ourselves to God? Can we, can, or do we just have to agitate? Do we just have to be in control? Do we just have to be the leaders? Or can we just step back and say, you know what, I'm going to let God work these things out. That's what we see here. And that's the godly response. The wicked response is to, to, to cause upheaval and to twist things and to pervert what is good. And we have to be careful of that. You, you look at society, and you see a lot of people that are disrupting society. You look at inside the church, inside the homes, and you see a lot of people perverting, twisting, because they want to be in control. Look at the number four. The wicked person is one who leaves chaos in his way. His effect. His effect is just chaos. He spreads, it says in verse 14, the end of verse 14, who spreads strife. The word spread is to scatter, to send out strife. The word strife there is, is hatred, stirring up, again, chaos, contention. And he sends it out. It's kind of like the ripple effect. There's so much chaos there that it affects everything. And, and you see it in every part of life. It's a troublemaker. Just about mischief all the time. Trouble follows him everywhere he goes, we might say. And he seems to thrive on the chaos. He, he seems to get energy on the confusion. He loves it. Th- this broken relationships and the disruption of families and destruction of the home. And he uses anger. He loves the anger and the tension and the, the build-up. And you know what? This is exactly right. Because it says, of Satan, this is exactly what Satan would do. Satan has come to kill, steal, and destroy. In the book of Judges, there were men. It says, every man did what was right in his own eyes. That's the idea. Everybody wanted to be in charge. Everybody wanted control. Everybody did what was right in his own eyes. And there was chaos Chaos in Israel. And Satan was just having a heyday. So what about us? Do you ever look back and you say, hmm, I wonder what effect I had on those people. Did I leave them? They were built up? They were encouraged? Or were they torn down? Was there havoc wreaked upon them? Or or what? 
And then we see in verse 15, just quickly, the punishment, the judgment that, will, that this wicked person will get. He says, therefore, his calamity will come suddenly, instantly, he will be broken, and there will be no healing. Any event that results in great loss, he's going to suffer that. Kor was a perfect example of that. Brokenness, like a potter's vase that was thrown down. You've got pieces everywhere. Can't be put back together. And there's no healing. The results of sin are irreversible. So Solomon exposes us to this wicked person. The very DNA of what it is to be wicked, to be evil. And it's dark. We see it in other people before we recognize it in our own heart, I'm afraid. But it's dark and it's black and it's dirty. And folks, what we have to do is we have to evaluate ourselves. Solomon wants his son to recognize it in other people, but he has to know his own self. Am I a wicked person? Am I an evil person? We all have that propensity in ourselves, folks. We do. We have to acknowledge it. We have to look in ourselves. We have to question our motives. Because God sees it all. We're not hiding anything from God. He sees it all anyway. Whether it's in ourselves or in other people, we need to be able to recognize. So, just by application, can you recognize the evil? It's really hard in the political realm, in society, political commercials all the time. You know, it's hard to know. It's hard to know the truth from error. Everybody's twisting things. Everybody's distorting to their own good. Even in the Christian realm, folks. Even in the church. People use the Bible to to sell or use the Bible for their own control. Do whatever they want to do. And they'll wreak havoc on God's church. Disrupt the whole unity of the church. We have to be careful of that. We have to be careful to make sure that we're not used by Satan to wreak havoc in the family or the church or society. Number two, just by way of application, we must take sin seriously. When you've got a two-year-old, a three-year-old, just a little kid, you know, some of these things, oh, how cute, how sweet, how innocent. You know, they're just being boys and they're just having fun. And we look at this, but we don't recognize the wickedness in the heart there. We have to be able to recognize it. And we have to correct it in our children. It's just a little poison, but it's poison. When they become 16, 17, 18, 19, 20 years old, then you'll see the full-blown evil that was in their heart as a two-year-old. Let me give you another one. We have to be careful to recognize God's characterizing of people. And you've got to follow me a little bit. This is the worthless man. This is the wicked person. We looked at the, the sluggard last week. Notice that the Bible just calls them by sin. Life-dominating sins. And what we tend to do is we tend to soften that. We tend to use psychological terms. When I was in a psych class in college, they taught us there's four categories of people. And it wasn't the sluggard and the wicked man. It was the, the sanguine personality. Oh, you know, it's the happy-go-lucky, the attention-getting. And I wonder what title would Scripture put? What title would God put on that person? He just loves attention. He loves the, the limelight. It would be pride, just the proud person. Or the, the melancholic personality, is what we might call it. Instead of saying, no, he's just self-absorbed. 
He's just so self-focused. That's all he can look at is himself. We might see the choleric personality. that, uh, and, and, and you wonder, in the, the choleric personality wants to be in control. He wants to be the leader. He wants everybody to submit to his rule. We look at Scripture and we think, wonder what Scripture would say about that. Controlling. Manipulative. We look at the phlegmatic personality, the laid-back personality, and we just say, you know, he's probably just lazy. Just lazy. We have to be very careful about labeling. Because I know our tendency is the psychological bent on things and, and to kind of profile today. That's softening, many times, it's softening the blow of Scripture, of a, a life-dominating sin. Somebody, maybe that's proud Somebody that's just arrogant, just maybe somebody that's lazy, maybe somebody that just wants control. We need to use biblical terminology, biblical terminology. And then just last, and we'll close with this. What about pride? This whole thing, the thread that comes through all of these things is just self, just pride. No humility, no humility. You look at Christ and Christ said, I didn't come to serve, be served, I come to serve. And and he tells us what love is. He says, no love is, no man has greater love than this than a man lay down his life. That's just selfless, sacrificing. Folks, we've missed that today. We've missed that today. We have to be very careful to be able to recognize the evil. Recognize those who want to twist what is good and use it for what is evil, to disrupt, to sell to use for their own ends. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you, Lord, for the clarity of Scripture. Thank you, Lord, for allowing us to think through these things today. Help us to be able to recognize, identify evil, especially in our own hearts. May we not be self-deceived. We thank you for the objective truth of Scripture that informs us, that teaches us and corrects us and then trains us in righteousness. Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.